0: if internally we're producing a biased force we have to have a strategy to to manage that good morning happy monday i have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect okay very busy monday we're going to dig straight into today's q a uh this question comes from alex and alex's question was in regard to um selecting the appropriate position For patient intervention. So, this is more of a rehab kind of a a question, but it does apply uh, to gym activities as well. One of the things we have to consider is how our patients or clients are managing internal and external forces. So we're talking about gravity and then the internal forces that we produce um, through the internal movement of of our bodies. This is why we see the superficial strategies that we, we talk about that can create interference with movement. So if we can better select interventions in patient positions, we can be much more effective with those interventions and then progressively teach our clients to manage these forces and have much more successful outcomes. And so that's kind of where this this question took us. One of the things that I want want you to walk away with as well is understanding that, number one, always have an intention, very specific intention, and therefore you're going to need a key performance indicator. So you're going to need something that you're measuring as you intervene to assure that you are being successful. So so take that time, intervene, and always remeasure so you know that you're being successful. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to Ask. Bill Hartman at gmail.com, ask Bill Hartman at gmail.com. And we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you later.
1: I'm trying to get better at which positions on the table to put people in, like whether it's right side, left side, prone to something uh-huh. like that, initially. Um, so I was wondering if I could ask you questions about diaphragm position in, in wides versus narrows um, okay. and, and what you want to get them to do. Um, and then maybe some other factors of, like, what else would play into whether I put them in right or left sideline. Because cause g- generally I put them in in right sideline because my impression is, um, based on the way the guts move, it takes away the internal forces. But that doesn't always seem to be the best option. Um, so I was wondering if you could elaborate on that.
0: Okay, so I, lo- I love the thought process, first and foremost, because again, when you think about the superficial strategies, they're, they're using them to control position against gravity and managing forces. And so if, if internally we're producing a biased force, we have to have a strategy to, to manage that. And so the easiest way is to, is to, number one, just simply reduce gravity, first and foremost, um, in any way, shape, or form. You you do that you immediately um, have have a benefit to allow you to access different positions because the strategies can now change. Right sideline is going to reduce those internal forces to a greater degree than than just about any other position um, because again they, they have to move against gravity which they probably don't do a great job of because it's um, you know uh, it is pressure related but again it's harder to overcome. Um, so so from a right sideline standpoint you're absolutely right. Um, in regards to any other position, um, think about just a, a bag of water and then where, where, that's, where everything's going to fall, so to speak. So if I move somebody to supine... Um, there's a greater potential for some of those internal forces to be in, in effect. But because, because I'm I'm laying down, everything tends to fall towards the table. So if you can just remember that representation alone, it's like mm-hmm. wherever I'm positioning you, right, the, the guts are going to go in that direction um, as, as far as the table is concerned. Um, and then all you got to recognize the fact is like, every time I take you away from that right sideline position, chances are um, I'm going to... Um, slowly allow those forces to become um exposed uh just a little bit more which is necessary um you know from a a progression standpoint i need to slowly introduce something so you manage it here you manage it there and i keep turning you think about this for a sec though so when you're in like all fours Mm -hmm. everything's hanging off the spine which is a kind of cool when you think about it it's kind of helpful um the the bias is still there but um because again it, it's hanging it's it's so my dog has a similar internal force problem right that we all do but to a lesser degree so it's so it's still um not as impactful as being upright grace is like just digging that one right Yeah. Um, So, so all you're doing is, and again, your, your strategy in my mind is correct um, depending on what you're finding. So how do you know when to change the position?
1: Well, so sometimes what I'll do is I'll start them in right sideline. That's kind of like my default if they can't get something done. Um, Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll bring them to left or I'll just like try Try a different position again after and see if it was any easier okay.
0: um let me let me let me back up what what measurement are you using in like so, so you put somebody in the right sideline how do you know you're successful
1: um usually it's just like positionally do they feel what i'm talking about can i get them to move that way
0: okay so you need but- you need an objective measure
1: should I be monitoring like irs or something
0: well you should be measuring something yes okay so so think about the strategy that so so when you take your initial measurements they're gonna they're gonna give you a representation of the strategy that you're using to manage themselves right Mm -hmm. okay so based on that and then if you put somebody in a position you should have an intention of what you're trying to change Mm-hmm. Or, or influence would probably be the better way to say that. What am I trying to influence? After you do that activity, did it change? If it didn't, do something else yeah. along the same lines of thinking if you if you still think that you're correct. Right? But the point is is that before you choose an, an intervention, you need to have an intention. Don't just randomly throw stuff at the wall and hope that it sticks, right? right we want to have an idea. It's like, so if I'm going to put you in, if I'm going to put you in, in sideline, um, you think about, okay, so if I took away the, the influence that made you create this, this movement strategy in the first place, I have to have a measure that tells me that you stopped using it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, so maybe it's like, okay, I recaptured, um, ER and was able to superimpose the IR on top of it. So let's just say that they were like, I don't know, um, 50 degrees of ER, zero IR. You lay them on the right side, you mess around a little bit and they go 60-20. Mm-hmm. Way to go, All right? That tells you that, that that left-sided strategy is no longer in play, mm-hmm. right? So now it's like, okay, I need to get I probably need to get more of the internal rotation, okay? So I might do another activity in in a similar position or I might move them into a slightly more challenging position and see if they can hang on to what they just gained and then pick up some more. Mm -hmm. So that might be going from right sideline to to supine, okay? Do Do you follow where we're going here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah,
0: but you, but but every time, every time you intervene, in in, in your situation. So we're talking about a rehab setting here, just to be mm-hmm. clear, because it's like you don't want to test your gym clients after every exercise that they do, yeah. right? Because um, some of those exercises are intentionally designed to take away motion. Um, so, but it, but it, but in our situation, every time you intervene, you got to check a KPI. Otherwise, you don't know if you're successful. And if so, if you did three activities, right? let's just say you did three activities and nothing changed. You just wasted that amount of time. Right. And so, so again, all you just have to have is, is, is just one, one key measurement that makes sense to you, that will tell you that the strategy is changing and that will be your guide.
1: Okay. that's fair. Does that help you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I do it a lot of the time, not all the time. Um, but so when would you switch someone? When would you, if I'm looking at a person mm-hmm. and I say, this person might do better in left sideline, what person would I be looking at?
0: So what do you have to have to lay somebody on their left side to assure that that they can move across that left side? You've just anchored the... so. If you put somebody in left, okay, hang on. You remember how I how I talked about what the table represents and why you measure against it? Yeah. What is it? What does it represent?
1: Um, Standardized right. surface.
0: Is it early, middle, or late? Oh, middle. Boom. If I put you in left sideline, what should you have on the middle. left side? I should have middle on the left side, shouldn't I? I have to be able to approach it, so that means I have to have a superimposition of internal rotation on the left side to even put you in left sideline to be mm-hmm. successful. Okay, exceptions to the rule certainly, right? If I got somebody that's pointy and I'm and I need to go manual on somebody, I might put them there, right? But generally speaking, to be to do an activity, an intervention on the left side where they're actively participating, I would need to have some internal rotation on that side.
1: I mean, that's true sort of the right side too, though, right?
0: Um, to, to, like I said, to a, to a degree, yes. Right. Again, if I'm a, if I'm if I'm the guy applying the forces and I'm trying to induce the shape change manually. Okay. Totally different from you doing it actively.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. You have to have access. You have to have some sort of access to a, a position and movement before I, before I, like, again, take somebody that, that is that is fully compressed, um, very late representation, end game, right? And then asking them to do an active intervention under those circumstances, very, very difficult to do. To position, right. to position the foot and put the force into the ground, I have to have ER to get there, IR to produce force. Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay, we got to dig straight in to today's Q and A. Uh, this was with Lalo. Lalo works with sprinters. Some of his guys have uh, some some pain related issues, and so he's monitoring them um, over time, and he's collecting some 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 data on, on ranges of motion. He's identified some deficits. Um, one of the deficits you're typically going to see um, with with um sprinters in general is that they're going to lack hip internal rotation the question mark is is how much of that do we need to to give them back uh to protect them allowing allowing them to produce force because we're always going to use er to position ourselves we're going to use ir uh, for force production and so we talked a little bit about kpis uh, while i was using a, a, a vertical jump actually to, to help monitor some of these things and we talked about how we can integrate that so this this Call covered a lot of ground um, in regards to ER for position, IR for force production, um, key performance indicators, and and then how to monitor over time. So, again, probably useful for a lot of you people that work with people that have to run really, really fast. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com. Askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put a 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I'll see you later.
2: Is it normal for, uh, elite runners and sprinters to have barely any adduction? I mean, they'll have it because of the anterior tilt. If I, you know, if I, if I bring their knees up, they'll have it at a certain degree, but
0: what, okay. Where are you, where are you measuring it? What do you mean?
2: So I'll lay them down on the table. I'll lay them on their side. I will bring their knees to 90 degrees. I will pull back the knee, but I don't want to pull back enough to where the, uh, starts to roll. So, right, so you, I you don't, can't bring it
0: back all the way.
2: Right. I, I can't bring it back all the way. So I, I'm not, because I already know I'm not going to have that, that hip extension. It's normal right. that they don't because of the anterior tilt, but right. at that certain point, if I started to bring down to test adduction, their knees going to go forward.
0: If, 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 if you don't have the internal rotation to capture the position, then you don't have like, again, that's why it's not adduction. It's internal rotation.
2: Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Now, so, so they won't have like, like a high level, a high level sprinter won't have n- what would be average normal hip rotations. Right, average so people don't have... run fast. <laughs> Ever, yeah, yeah. So they,
2: um, I anything anything slower than them is pedestrian speed. So for me, yes. for me has been trying to understand because every day Gen Pop and them have been very different, and having to switch the brain and the and the way to do it and the training model has been different. So I'm just trying to capture a good. I mean, I, I look at the adductor as an accelerator for them. Is that, does that make sense?
0: Well, it, so what, What? okay.
2: Uh, Not need, just that as one part. Hang on, right?
0: like, let me try to, to explain this. Yeah. They're applying force into the ground, okay? To position right. To position the foot and put the force into the ground, I have to have ER to get there, IR to produce force. If I don't have both, If I don't have both available, the ground contact um, is either not going to produce a lot of force and I got too much ER, hamstring strain, okay, right, Um, Right. or I get too much IR, right, Um, heel pain, big toe pain, medial knee pain, hip impingement, low back pain, right, right, it's compensatory IR, right, so here's how much IR you need, Don't tell anybody. You need enough. Sorry, um, most of the most of the best sprinters that that I've measured, and I measured one like totally world class dude. Um, about fifteen degrees of hip IR was really good for him, and that's not a lot under average circumstances. Um, but that's how he did it, right? So, so again, it's like. I don't know what to tell you for the exact measure. I think what you're the, the way you're measuring it and your your approach is correct. Right. But how much you need, I wish there was a measure for it.
2: Right. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is try to find exercise selection that will help me, you know, work on their acceleration. You yeah. know, so I've been doing the the ipsilateral, you know, step ups and making sure they drive forces into the ground and working uh-huh. on the tendon. stiffness um but i was thinking am i gonna miss something adductor wise um so basically like you know contralateral i just don't want to put them too much in that contralateral so i i'm probably too much in my own head um
0: hang on hang on hang on what would be a really good self-test for them to identify whether they're capturing the internal rotation superimposed on the ER as the hip is, is as their body's passing over the foot and the hip would move back into the IR representation into the ground there's an exercise what would can- be a good test yeah
2: i'm blank out uh, i don't know
0: okay so think about think about the 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 leg position underneath mm-hmm. them. So right. they have one foot on the ground, the other leg is is, is swinging oh. through, got okay? Right. Cross connect? Okay, so a cross connect is a great representation of that, but again, you need a self-test for them. It, a cross connect's really hard for you to kind of tell what you got going on. If you put them in a hook line position and go to single leg support, can they hang on to the medial foot contact as they try to push through the ground, right? The people that get the little hammy string cramps when they're in the that single leg hook lying, that's too much ER, not enough IR.
2: Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. So
0: if, if they can if they can do like a a a single leg bridge from hook lying, and not cram, they have IR superimposed on ER. How much do they need? I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's just something that you track as the, as the, the boss, right? You say, I need you to get, I need to get you five more degrees or you go, we're okay for now.
2: Yeah. My KPI has been, is your Achilles not hurting as much? Is your lower back not hurting as much? Like that's, because there's so many of them at the same time. Um, and, And the time that I have is a constraint. So it's, it's more like, are the pains going away a little bit? And you know, we talked about, are you jumping as high as before? So I'll take video of how high there will be jumping and all that. But that's, that's has been the only two KPIs to make it simple, you know?
0: Okay. So, so think about this for a second, Lalo. So it, using a vertical jump. Yeah, I'm using a vertical jump and okay. then, yeah. Yeah. Hang on. Okay. So what's the advantage of the vertical jump in this situation? Um, and then monitoring those symptoms that you described. Why so would vertical if, hang on? Why would vertical jump go down and then Achilles and lower back symptoms increase at the same time?
2: Um, I don't know how it would correlate to the pain, but it will go down if they don't have the ability to produce force. So IR will be in what direction?
0: Lost. In what direction? In what direction? Up or into the uh, ground? Well, it, yeah. it's it's straight down to the ground, so they so they go yeah. up, right? Okay. So if I'm if I'm a high level sprinter, what direction is the force that I apply to the ground to the greatest degree?
2: Maximal. Down. It's straight
0: down, right? Straight, it's straight down, down yeah. into the ground. Okay. If yeah. my vertical jump goes down and my and my symptoms that are associated with a late propulsive strategy go up, increase, that means that as they're pushing up off the ground, they're going forward. Right. Okay. So if you want an improved downward force, I think that using your vertical jump and then monitoring those symptoms and then the hip IR are probably gonna give you a series of of KPIs to to track and see how they change. Yeah. Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. So today's Wednesday. That means tomorrow's Thursday. Therefore, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Coffee and Coaches Conference call as usual. If you have not made it to these calls, you're missing out. Uh, Great groups of people. Great questions. Um, Grab a cup of coffee. Please join us. Bring a question. Um, Great fun for everyone. Okay. Uh, Today's Q&A, a uh, a little different. Um, Just a reminder to to focus on on the process there's a lot of uncertainty a lot of unpredictability in situations and working with humans in these complex situations and this is why people become over reliant on averages and straight planes and such when the reality is is that all movement is idiosyncratic therefore we're going to see things that show up that are unusual that look kind of like that or like that And so then we have to go off the cookbook, if you will, and therefore everyone is going to behave idiosyncratically and and we have to get comfortable with that. And so the way we do that is we focus on process. So this is your assess, intervene, reassess, process. And this is how you're going to get comfortable with that, as well as spending time, gaining experience and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Uh, Everyone have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call.
3: So that question would be, it depends. Like, it's just you don't know until you do it. But how, how do you go about bringing someone back, like, more slowly or not as far versus, like, bringing them back more quickly? And further with like with a given exercise
0: okay so when you so this is all process so all we're talking about here is process you understand you understand the mechanics of of, of what you're going to create potentially and then so it's like okay how far do they move when you when you intervene and uh, you know and that's that's the question that you're asking right so there, so you don't know you do something and then you say, okay, that's in the favorable direction. I will do a little bit more of that. And then I will monitor that change and make sure it's still trending in the right direction. right? And then you're communicating with them. If, if we're talking about symptom relief and things like that, um, that's that's going to be something that you would monitor as well. And that might give you the answer that you're looking for as to like, how much do I need to bring you back? So you know, somebody re- reports a reduction of symptoms, but, it, but not resolution, then you probably did something that's favorable in regards to creating adaptability. Maybe you didn't create enough. Maybe you didn't create enough in the right direction. So, you know, in, in those weird cases where you do something with an intention, like let's just say you were trying to create ER space and, and um, maybe you moved them a little bit in that direction, but you picked up a ton of IR. And, and they go, oh, that feels better. But you, but in your head, you're going, okay, but I, that wasn't what I was really trying to do. Right. So you created more adaptability. So you expanded the, this, the excursion that they can move through, but you didn't access the starting position into ER that you wanted. Yep. Right. So again, that's symptom relief versus the performance aspect of it, that, that was your original intention. You still have to, you still have to test Right. So it's always intervention. Right. And then reassess. And then intervention and reassess. Intervention, reassess. Because because again, the the, the questions that you're answer, you're asking are great questions, but they are resolved in process. Yeah. Because your predictive capabilities are slim.
3: Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm recognizing that but it's also trying to figure out like from a conceptual standpoint, like trying to get to a point of where like my first decision is better. Um, <laughs> like, it's still, it's still like a, a test retest, obviously. And even is
0: always, as, as but see, as, see, so here I, I understand. I'm not picking in here, brother. Okay. Uh, the, the, the biggest challenge that you have is, is not wanting, I mean, I know you want to know the answer, but, what it is it's getting comfortable with the unpredictability and the uncertainty is where is where the issue lies because if you can do that and you just understand that this is process and 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 always be you know forthcoming and honest with your with your patient or client and just say that we're going to do this and then we're going to test and we're going to see we're going to see what the answer is because you're not you're not like everybody else we have to treat you like you, right? Even though they they are human and they have certain constraints and such, we can't, like I said, we can't compare them to average and we have to compare them to themselves. Yeah. And that's the hard, that's the really hard part, right? That's why everybody likes that, you know, they they like the numbers and then they like straight planes and then they like, you know, average measures and, and things like that because there's comfort in that but it's also limiting in your outcomes. And again, it's, it's all a matter of like, where, are you, where is your head? It's like, if I'm thinking nerves, you think nerves, right? And then you don't think about the other stuff. And then if you're thinking muscles, you think muscles and then you forget about the nerves. And you-
4: yes, I do. Thank you. Um, I was going through some notes and um, I forgot we were talking about neurodynamics in class. Uh-huh. Um, just out of curiosity, how does that play into your model? Because when I think of just like for like flossing, we were going over like flossing techniques and stuff. Yeah. Um, the analogy I have thought of was like when you have like someone with like Achilles tendinosis and they're like really pushed forward and they try and stretch it, type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, is that kind of the same scenario where it's like you need to really focus on the orientation and just stretching it is not really gonna.
0: Okay, so are you doing sliders or are you doing tensionists? So you have to say it like that because that's what? David Butler because he talks about sliders and tensioners. So which one are you doing? Oh God, which okay. ones, I, one's- Hang on, hang on. Which ones, yeah. Hang on. Okay. So sliders are like an arm going through a sleeve. So you put your arm in this, the sleeve of your coat and your arm slides through the sleeve. Okay? A tensioner is when you pull on both ends of the nerve to get it to improve its tolerance to tension. So so tensioners come later in the game. So you know how how nerves get sensitized, right? So I I put inflammatory chemicals on them and I irritate them and then they become sensitized to movement. And so one of the things you have to do with, with, after you get the nerve to actually move, Okay. Um, you need to actually get it used to uh, uh, being under tension again because nerves are always under tension there cuz they get compressed. You're sitting on your nerves right now and they are perfectly fine with it, right? But if I sensitize that, then they may not like it so much. And so again, you've got you've got your sliders and your tensioners. The the thing that, that and again, I'm 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 regurgitating stuff from like Butler and Shacklock that nerves like three things. They like movement, they like space, and they like blood flow. And if I do anything that compromises any of those, then I can make a nerve respond in an unfavorable manner. Right? So if I have concentrically oriented muscle activity, what happens to blood flow? What happens to the excursions that are available to those nerves? You see what I'm getting at? And so it doesn't change how I reacquire positions and movement but I can use neurodynamic testing in my favor to determine where the concentric orientation has the greatest influence on those types of symptoms, right? So somebody comes in, they go, Jordan, I get numbness and tingling in these three fingers. And then at nighttime, it's kind of painful, right? What nerve? What nerve am I talking about? Radial. Strike one, keep going. I'm on, I'm on the Palmer side, my friend. Radial's, radial's here. Ulnar. Strike two, that would be over here. Median. <laughs> yeah, he only had three choices. <laughs> all right. So So now we got to start thinking about all right. So, so classically, everybody would say that, oh, it's the carpal tunnel that's creating the problem, right? Okay. But is it really the carpal tunnel? That's the problem. So what they do is they go in, it's a five minute surgery. They slice your hand open. They can do this in, they can do this in the ER. I got a buddy that does them all the time. Um, They slice through the the, the carpal ligament, they release the pressure, everybody's all happy for a little while, um, even though they might still be symptomatic. Okay, but now we gotta think about where, is, where does this nerve actually go through the arm? Okay, so it, it behooves you to understand the pathways because especially the median nerve has this really cool pathway that actually slides right in between two heads of the same muscle, so to speak. It's not the same muscle, it's two muscles, but they call it one. Right, your pronator teres has, has two pieces to it, and the median nerve goes like right in between them. Right, so if I had an orientation at the elbow that would create concentric orientation or enough eccentric orientation to where there's like a like tension on the on the tissue that it would compress the nerve, that nerve no longer slides through the arm like with like a sleeve. Right, okay. And, and so again, nerves like three things. They like movement, they like blood flow, and, and uh, they like space. And I just took away all of those, right? And so now I've got an angry little median nerve, but the symptoms show up down here, but that's what can happen. But, but if you think about um, your, your flossing, what you wanna look at is, is follow the pathway of the nerve. And, and again, the associated musculature will restrict its movement, okay? The, the flossing activities are, can, can be beneficial because the nerve has to move. But if you've got concentric orientation that is interfering, if you alleviate that, many cases, no flossing required. You use your neurodynamic tests that they, that they teach you in school. I hope they taught you how to do those. Yes? Lower extremity. They didn't teach you upper extremity? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. All right. So you use your neurodynamic tests um, as confirmation. The thing that you want to recognize is that um, the neurodynamic tests are also they, they are also demonstrative of of the excursion, right? They may not be symptomatic, right? So if you do like a, a straight leg raise with the uh, medial plantar nerve bias. Right, So you're, you're dorsiflexed and, and everted through the foot as you do the, the, uh, the test. Um, what you may find is, is that the excursion of the straight leg raise is less in that position, but, they, but it doesn't hurt and it doesn't give them symptoms. You take away the tension, okay? Uh, you take away the bias, you do the straight leg raise and you got like 15 more degrees of excursion. That's a positive test to let you know that you've got a limitation that's associated with the concentric orientation of the musculature that's, that's influencing that nerve excursion. Do you understand? Yeah. Okay. So even though it's not symptomatic by, by neurologic standards, you can still use those tests to help you determine where you have concentric orientation issues. Okay.
4: That's, that was gold. That's awesome. Because I, I didn't know how to apply that using like, this yeah. model. I really, yeah, I because it, it, it,
0: I, think, I think the expectation under these circumstances that, is that you would expect. Um, um, and again, it's, it's all a matter of like, where, you, where is your head? It's like, if I'm thinking nerves, you think nerves, right? And then you don't think about the other stuff. And then if you're thinking muscles, you think muscles and then you forget about the nerves and you gotta say, well, what is this interaction? Like what would happen under these circumstances if I, if I didn't have a, 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 the excursion available to me, what would be the limitation? So, so I do it the same way, right? So if, if I have limitations in, in an ER measure, I know I've got a posterior compressive strategy somewhere that I need to alleviate. Based on my measures, it tells me where to go. It tells me what activities to do. And then I can go back and I can actually check my neurodynamic tests as, as a representation of did I alleviate the concentric orientation that was causing the problem in the first place? It works really, really well. You see it?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't necessarily need those numbness and tingling. Hypothetically, like if I was like- kind Well, of- it,
0: if they have that symptom, then, then you have a much bigger- representation to, to work with here as far as what symptoms you want to alleviate. It's not just granted you want the full excursion back. So like if, if you're doing like a, a, a media nerve biased neurodynamic test and you get a limitation, like you, you get the limitation at the elbow or you get the limitation at the wrist, right? Um, number one, you've got an excursion problem There, but if if it reproduces a specific symptom, now it it becomes a much more useful test because I need to alleviate that symptom and capture the 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 movement or positional representation. Right.
4: That was really really helpful. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Actually, you you'd, you'd be capturing an IRD position, so the bottom of your split squat might look a little different. Good morning, happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right, so busy Friday as usual. Gonna dig straight into today's Q and A, which uh, is a question uh, from Zach. So Zach is working with some post-op knee patients. They're training the anterior outlet trying to recapture some constant orientation. So this question took us in a lot of different directions. We covered a lot of grants. We talked about visual KPIs in the gym, rather than putting people down on the table and and doing direct measures of joint ranges of motion, how can we use another activity that would require some representation of internal rotation? and use that as our KPI, and use that for comparison purposes. We talked about the influence of of range of motion. So how deep into a squat clean do you need to go to make sure that you're capturing the pelvic outlet position? Um, What is the influence of the magnitude of load? What is the influence of the rate of load? So we covered a lot of ground here. We talked about some examples of some oscillatory impulses that you could probably use. To help to restore and recapture this concentric orientation, um, how to develop the overcoming influence as well. So, like I said, covered a lot of ground here. This is actually a great question from Zach. So, very, very appreciative, Zach. So, thank you. Um, Everybody have an outstanding weekend. The podcast will be up on Sunday, as usual, and I'll see you next week. All
3: right. So, my question is going to be like, I guess, confirming like the thought process with in like exercise progressions um, and kind of just like knowing like when someone's ready to progress. Um, So context, I've got a few of my post-op ACLs right now. They're all like a similar phase in their rehab um, where I can teaching them like force absorption at higher velocities, like prior to getting into some plyometrics. Uh Um, Most of them are narrow cylinders. um, So just low force producers. And like, anytime, like we are like, the exercise I have in mind, um, is like have them on a slant board and then like a kettlebell clean and I'll cue them to like wait for the weight and then drop with it. Like kind of like it like a water balloon um, to like teach that initial yield. Um, okay. when they all do it though, they just like, it looks like gravity just like bottoms them out. Like they just like keep going. Yeah. Um, so where I think I want to go with that is like keeping the exercise that they're familiar with. Um, But instead of having them wait for the weight, like, have them, like, really aggressively start to, like, drop underneath it to what I think would be, like, teaching, like, that concentric orientation Uh of the pelvic diaphragm. Uh I guess where my question is going to go, I I find it easier conceptually when the goal is, like, recapturing range of motion because, like, you can – it's, like, a very easy checks and bounce, Like, did you get the range of motion or not? Correct. for that type of thing where I'm transitioning from like more of a yielding bias to getting more aggressive with like the content orientation, is that strictly visual? Like did they not bottom out the way they used to? Or like there's certain things you're gonna be looking at specifically to let me know like, all right, I was successful in that transition and then they did that successfully.
0: Okay, so you, you still have range of motion excursions that you can use because they're going to be moving through um the 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 middle range of the movement where the pressure is highest where you have concentric orientation where you've got shape change of the pelvis so you can still utilize your your movement kpis to help help guide you and make sure that they're capturing that right from, um, uh, go ahead
3: use the movement kpis from a like put them back on the table and measure something or just make sure like, yeah
0: you can do that Unless you've got like a, 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 again, if they're up in their dynamic, it's like you might have another, another representation. So, so think about this. If you get a concentric pelvic diaphragm more effectively than you did prior to what would happen to your split squat?
3: I'd say you wouldn't go, be able to go as deep. Well,
0: Well, actually you, you'd, you'd be capturing an IR position. So the bottom of your split squat might look a little different in regards to how much control you have, how quickly you can move into and out of it, right? From a dynamic standpoint, right? So when you talk about a visual with the activity itself, so you, you're doing a, like a, the, the squat, you're doing a squat clean, right?
3: Yeah, like but, d- double leg symmetrical.
0: Yeah, it's a kettlebell squat clean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so visually you might see that the turnaround is very, very quick. So from a timing standpoint, you would see that difference, right? They're able to pressurize, they're able to go from eccentric to concentric much more quickly. But an, another way to look at this is like, let's take another activity that that might be a little bit more complex in regards to the stance. So i I got you in a split stance. I have you do a series of, of split squats. Right. And I, and I say, okay, from a dynamic standpoint, how quickly can they make the turnaround in that? Right. So they have to lower themselves into the IR position. They have to capture the concentric orientation and then pressurize and push themselves out of that as well. So I can use the relationship, you know, between exercises.
3: So you so cueing the split squat with a little more speed than maybe what we were able to see, can they make that turnaround
0: or, or don't even tell them anything and just have them do it. And then you get to be the judge of like, oh, okay, we captured a better representation of iron in the bottom. We saw a stronger turnaround. They usually comment, they go, wow, that was so much easier. That's usually what happens. Gotcha. Right. Um, If if I may, one of the things that you may want to consider um, if you're having trouble um, in uh, uh, progressing that is you start them from the, the static representation where they actually have to just hold the position that you're trying to capture and then slowly increase the amplitude above and below, right? So they're doing an impulse literally at that level. And then you expand it, you say, now start here come down and catch it and come right back up, come down and catch it, come right back up, come down and catch it and come right back up. So you just slowly expand the excursion that they're moving without resistance. So the drop, right? And then they have to catch. And so then you're you're increasing the rate at which they have to perform that progressively. And then doing so, then you get your nice little concentric overcoming where you get the nice stiff connective tissue response that goes along with them capturing the concentric orientation.
3: All right, that that makes sense. So just building it from the static a- end position to just decrease like the momentum that they're coming in with, essentially. So it would be it would be, right. be easier to conceptually orient against less.
0: Yeah. 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 You're just you're you're it, all you're doing is just again pure progression. But but again, it's like you, you don't have to change the magnitude, but you're gonna you're gonna change the amplitude of the movement, and you're gonna change the rate at which they are they are performing it.
3: I like that. And then in the past, like when trying to teach this um, before I kind of like started looking at things through this lens and the model, um, I used to like, kind of like take like bands over either shoulder. Um, so it's like, again, probably increase the rate, almost thinking like, all right, well, if I increase it beyond what gravity is normally, then maybe like once we put them back in just like a gravity environment without the bands, it'll be easier for them to resist that. Um, so now what I'm thinking is, yes, I'm probably going to increase the rate, which maybe they're not ready for. Um, but I'm also starting to think like how the guts might play into that. Um, and I guess I've conflicting thought processes on the guts, like why it might make it easier or tougher. Um, cause I guess the momentum of the guts is going to. I guess the momentum of the guts is going to make that tougher because it's going to, it's just going to increase the rate on it once it catches up. Yeah. Without diaphragm,
0: It's two hits, so to speak, right? So they drop. The bands pull them down faster than they would drop, right? Yep. And the guts are floating. So they go down. They stop. They have to capture that position. And then the guts come down second.
3: So would you ever use – like, it's going to make it harder to capture the concentric orientation against that second hit, but it almost seems like it might make getting, like, the, the eccentric – like, the yield easier.
0: There you go. That's it. That's exactly right. That's so exactly right.
3: if – from, like, a – just, like, a local knee tolerance, like in the case of an ACL, again, if they could handle the rate and the momentum going down – could that almost be like a regression initially in terms of like just capturing the bottom position, take the bands away as I'm initially trying to capture the concentric and I could add the bands in when I want them to limit the range of motion again.
0: Okay. So yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to play with magnitude here though, because again, you're. Added to the
3: bands initially is going to make that tougher too.
0: Yeah. So, so you have to just consider the the tissue tolerances and things like that, especially with an ACL (laughs) coming back.
3: Gotcha. For your
0: premise, like I don't disagree with your premise.
3: Yeah, it's just does it actually pan out from a magnitude standpoint? All right, and then strength training. Yeah, for sure. Just like supplementary strength training, these are like would be like the tap and go variations for like squats. In terms of just like maintain it as they're going down and up throughout the range.
0: Yeah, if you're trying to you're trying to hang on to concentric orientation.
3: Correct. Yeah, to try to try to supplement the goal of helping them not bottom out.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, so, and then, so watch your depth as well, because again, you don't want, you don't want to like this, this is where um, the excursion matters as well, right? So this would not be somebody that you would, you would put on an incline board and say, sit all the way down into your deep squat, right? Because that would be eccentric orientation. If you're trying to teach them to maintain the, the concentrically oriented outlet. So
3: I have been putting them on the decline board just because like it, it helps them maintain like a better looking squat from whatever subjective I'm defining that as. Okay. Um, but I'm not I'm limiting the depth.
0: That's that's what I'm saying. That's that's what I'm saying is like is like you just have to you have to monitor that excursion. Because yep. you you don't, don't want to again if it. At some point in time, they should be able to do all of that stuff for you, right? But if you're if you're really focused in on on trying to maintain the concentric outlet, then train the concentric outlet and be consistent with that until they can they can demonstrate it at will. Gotcha. Right. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's good.